0: Welcome to Into Action, brought to you by Touchstone Recovery Center. This week, we're talking to Sandra Gale. Sandra's a good friend of mine. She works here at Touchstone, and she's a woman in recovery.
1: Uh, how are you? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me, Nolan. Um, this makes me kind of nervous to do, you know, lights, camera, action kind of thing, but super grateful to be here, ready to get this started.
0: Good, well, welcome. Welcome. Um, so typically on into action we talk about our recovery story, um, you know, what got us into treatment, what keeps us sober today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I might have some random questions for you as well. Okay. But so I don't I know you pretty well, but I don't know a lot about your addiction. You know, I've the whole time I've known you, you've been sober. Um, you seem to have your, your stuff together pretty well. <laughs> and so, so I'm curious, like how long did you struggle with drugs or alcohol and what, what did that look like?
1: So, um, I have been actively using alcohol since I was 12 years old and I'm about to be 39. So for a good amount, 30 years, (laughs) 30 years, I struggled for a long time and, um, My alcoholism started with my parents drinking um, and we were raised where you kind of were just given beer to taste it and if you didn't like the taste or if you liked it, you could have it freely whenever you wanted. Um, So my addiction was cigarettes and alcohol at a young age. Um, I didn't ever believe that I was an alcoholic because my family was struggling with other addictions like heroin and meth so I was always like, if you drink alcohol, you're not an addict. You know what I mean? I'm not I have a needle in my arm. Um, I'm not smoking out of a crack pipe. And I was just a productive person in society. I worked. I had a family. Um, I never ever thought I was an alcoholic until, you know that that moment when I realized um, I went four years without ever having a day sober. Hmm. And I was like, I think I'm an alcoholic. You know, and yeah.
0: Did you have a lot of consequences that like built up in your life or was it just like you? one day you just realized, shit, I have a problem?
1: (sighs) That's like really tough to say the consequences because I've been such a tough person. Like I've had a rough life, a rough childhood. So I've worked really hard for what I've had. So I didn't have consequences for like drinking. Like I remember one time in eighth grade, I came home shit face drunk to my parents um, and I lied about being drunk and they could smell the vodka on me. Like I'm in eighth grade, I drank a whole bottle of absolute vodka and I was puking my guts out. And I remember lying to my dad, telling him that I was sick. And my consequences was (laughs) I had to do yard work for two days in the heat. Hmm. So there was no intervention of like my child is in eighth grade and came home drunk. Like my family just brushed it off. And then a week later, you know, I was back to drinking again with my friends. There's yeah. no consequences. Yeah. Even in adulthood, I, I don't, you know, alcohol was easily accessible. I had a job. I could buy my own alcohol. I didn't have to, like, sell my body or steal alcohol. So I didn't think it was ever an issue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For a lot of us, I know for me, like, the consequences are, are what got insurmountable. Like, I couldn't keep using I couldn't keep drinking because every time I did, I had like some severe consequence, whether it was a DUI or going to prison or losing a wife, or, you know, there was always like some really bad stuff that came along with using and drinking for me. Um, you didn't have consequences like that. so
1: My consequences were medical. That's what got me clean and sober with gotcha. my health declined really, really bad in the last four years. And I kept going to the hospital and having medical issues. I suffered from like chronic migraines and I didn't know that my body was going through withdrawals, mm. um, in and out of the hospital. And um, I think my breaking point was, you know, when my children were involved in having to call 911 and stuff. And that's when I was having heart issues. And my my primary doctor was like, do you drink alcohol? And I I lied about my usage. I was like, I only have like two beers a day and I was drinking a thirty pack of Coors Light a day, you know. Yeah, yeah we tend to minimize, a little <laughs> minimize because we don't want to no. be judged. You no. know what I mean? No, like, no, no, God forbid. No, God forbid.
0: Which I I think is kind of ironic, right? Like we, at least in in our recoveries, we're we value honesty, and we know like if if I can't tell you the truth about it, maybe I shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. And it's 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 kind of odd that while we're active in our addiction, that's our go to is to minimize and to lie and to to pretend we're someone we're not. Yeah. Because I mean, I guess really what that tells us is deep down we know that there's something wrong, yeah. right? So it's like, maybe that's the first step. And I've, I've said this to family members before, where I've said like, well, they're lying because they know it's wrong mm. at least. Like at least they're not saying, yes, I drink 30 beers a day, deal with it. Like that's me, I'm gonna be me, F you. Yeah. Because that would be a hard person to to get to change, right? So I I guess I guess it makes sense that we, we minimize it and we lie. Um, maybe that's the first step in, in, like, making the change, you know?
1: Yeah, minimizing because, you know, when you look back, it's like, yeah, I only had, like, two beers that one night or I only had two beers. But when COVID hit, you know, the whole society was like, you know, there's going to be no alcohol, no groceries, no toilet paper. And so I just remember going out and buying – Every thirty pack of Coors Light that every CVS had, thinking that I wasn't going to have alcohol. Wow! And um, I, I remember we bought like I want to say like twenty, thirty packs, and they were gone within six days. Shame. Yeah, that's a lot of beer. Yeah, um, I think that's when I realized I was like, "Wow, okay, how how am I going to survive if I don't have alcohol while we're quarantined in this house?" Yeah, and um, that's. <laughs> <laughs> so, minimize my severity there
0: so well thank god you you realized that there was an issue and yeah um the health problems didn't take you out because i'm i think a lot of people underestimate alcohol and you know we know this from working in, in treatment but alcohol and benzos are the only things that can kill you yeah. when you are, are likely to kill you when you detox from them and you feel like um, you're dying yeah 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 and it's I underestimated it because I I never had I never drank on a daily basis really, um, at least that I can remember because I would blackout when I would drink, but I usually didn't drink on a daily basis. So I, I never went through the alcohol detox. But like seeing it firsthand, working in treatment, it's it's severe and it's it's one of the hardest things, if not the hardest drug to stop using because it's socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. Everyone does it like weddings funerals football games barbecues people drink that's Mm -hmm. what we do in america and it's it's hard to get away from it yeah and so until you're like really solid in your recovery it's it's hard to to stop drinking because you drive by a liquor store every two blocks in fresno
1: it's on every social media platform too you know what i mean it's it's everywhere and then family that they drink too you know just because you're you're not drinking then they question you. Well why aren't you drinking, you yeah. know? You have to you know, in your addiction I've tried a few times where I would I would go on like a dry run where I would like okay, I'm not going to drink for 30 days, but then I would pick up another habit. You know what I mean? Um sure. I wouldn't I would drink non-alcoholic beers, you know, but I'd still develop that habit of having something to be in that social environment with you know it's like yeah. family yeah. functions and stuff going yeah. to the beach or getting off of work and having something to wind down with you know what i mean it was it was really hard to accept that alcohol was my drug of choice you know because most people you know it's everywhere it's yeah. everywhere
0: and you touched on it just now like if you don't drink you have to explain that to people mm-hmm. you know no thanks i don't drink you know even at a wedding everyone's drinking champagne, I'll take apple juice or cider or whatever the heck they give Mm -hmm. us, right? But if you don't use heroin, you don't have to explain that. Like nobody says, (laughs) why don't you use some heroin today? Come on, get with it. Yeah, You know, but alcohol, you you have to justify it. You have to say, and it's humbling. It's a humbling thing to, it was hard at first, at least for me. I don't know if it was like that for you. To find the
1: courage to actually say like, you know, no, I don't drink. I struggle with, you know, um, alcohol. That was really really hard for me and my family to accept you know at the time when i got clean and sober i was married and i had two young kids you know and they didn't know what that was they thought it's okay for mommy to have a few beers they didn't see me as being a complete mess you know Mm -hmm. what i mean i was sleeping all day i was not working i couldn't get out of bed i was in and out of the hospital and i wasn't a belligerent drunk i wasn't a blackout i just drank just to stay living if i didn't drink i was i was dying i yeah. felt like i was crawling out of my skin yeah so it was really hard for my family to accept that you know yeah,
0: yeah it's it's i guess it, it takes a while and it took a long time for me to to know that like you know i'm better without it mm-hmm. and, and and that's a line i'll use if somebody offers me champagne at a wedding or or asks if i want a beer i, I just i'm better without it and that's 100 percent true you know because i've i'm assuming a lot but i, I assume you're better without it i'm um, much better right? without right and then because i know what i was like <laughs> drinking yeah. it, it, it was embarrassing yeah a lot of times
1: it was it, very embarrassing it's i'm very grateful that i'm i'm not there today you yeah. know what i mean it's a one so, day at a time yeah definitely
0: <laughs> um so i know you went to treatment at my time recovery I did. which is our sister facility We love my time. Tell me about your treatment experience.
1: So it's really funny. I actually Googled how to get sober in Fresno. I was thinking that I was gonna find a pill that I could buy online that you just take and that I was just, had to be somewhere away for the weekend. Um, And when I Googled how to get sober, My Time Recovery populated, a a few other treatment programs populated, but I looked at this picture and it was a fire pit outside and it had chairs around it. And I was like, that seems like a great idea. It's October, it's kind of cold outside. Like I can go and sit around a fire and just kind of like, you know, self reflect and have like a wellness retreat. And um, I did like an online submission and within like 30 seconds, their admissions team reached out to me. and. It went really fast, you know, they asked me questions and they were like, great, you know, we have a bed available, this is our program, told me about it, and I was like, perfect. You know what I mean? They're like, when would you like to come in? I was like, well, I am I would like to come in tomorrow. It was another day, I was like, I am just got out of the hospital, I wanna um, reflect with my family and stuff. And when I admit it was the most awkward, <laughs> experience that i've ever done because i'd never been to treatment i didn't know what to expect i i came to this private residential home in a beautiful neighborhood and i walked in and there was five other individual strangers that i had no idea who they were or what they were there for and um you know staff greeted me and they asked me lots of questions took my vitals and that's when it hit me like wow i'm really sick like i was physically sick um
0: the alcohol from the
1: alcohol withdrawals i was on day two of no alcohol that was the longest that i have ever been without alcohol since you know probably about a good two years solid Mm -hmm. and um it was scary you know they that moment i realized you know i wasn't gonna see my family i wasn't gonna see my husband i wasn't gonna have my phone um my kids you know they were getting home from school my admission was was at like two o'clock and like I just was very impulsive because we're addicts, and yeah. I just like threw myself into something that I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, but I think that's where the compassion with, that I give to other people is like they were just so amazing, they were so loving. My nurse like took care of me. Her name was Lori. She we actually work with her, you know. Now and you know answered all these questions and made me comfortable. And I just slept for like three days straight. Yep. <laughs> I, you know what I mean. And. Um, you know, I got some really good therapy, though. The therapists that were there at the time that I needed them. Um, I was able to process a lot of addiction trauma that I never, you know, that I just blocked out. You yeah. know, I'd struggled a long time with addiction. And, um, and you know, uh, it's kind of a blur to me now because I, I don't try to block it out. But I just remember the feeling of feeling so safe that... Um, that nothing could happen to me. Like this is exactly where I was supposed to be. This is where I was supposed to be doing. And that it was the first time that I could be completely selfish. Like I didn't have to worry about being a mom. I didn't have to worry about being a wife. I didn't have to worry about being an employee. I just had to worry about Sandra and who she was Yeah. and start the healing process. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think that's hard for a lot of us to, to like check out and to realize we need the help. We're the ones we need to concentrate on. Yeah. I mean, we see it all the time where Someone will admit into treatment, and then they're worried about everything else Mm -hmm. except getting better. And that's – I think that's a huge, huge roadblock for a lot of people to to get over is to know that they're no good to their family without sobriety. They're no good to their loved ones, to their job, to their – whatever commitments they have if they don't concentrate on themselves and get better.
1: Yeah. And that was one – outlook that I had was if I don't get the help I need right now, I'm not going to be good to any my kids. I'm not going to be a mother. I'm not going to be here on earth. So if I take this small sacrifice and me going in, I thought I was only going to be there for five days. Little did I know that I was going to do 30 days, (laughs) but, um, you know, that small sacrifice that my whole family made, you know, we all came together and like my kids were taken care of, um, you know, bills were paid. It was very tight, you know, but when I was finally honest with everybody, I think that's what made us all, you know, really be like, okay, Sandra is really sick. Like, Sandra needs this. Like, we can all come together and make this happen. And it was the best decision I ever made. You know, I haven't, I've thought about alcohol, you know, I've obsessed about it, but I replayed like that first week and how devastating and how sick and tired I was of suffering that I don't ever want to go back to that.
0: I know that um, after you got out of treatment, or at least inpatient treatment, you continued with with outpatient, correct? Yeah. What was that like?
1: Outpatient was, oh, that's like, do you know that feeling like when you, like you go to your first day of school, okay? The first day of school is terrifying. You're meeting all these new people, but the second day gets better because then you start making these friends and then like the first week it's like, you know, like the honeymoon stage, you know what I mean? You make all these new friends. You're a cool new kid, you, Sandra. And you're like, and you're a new person. You're not the person you were 30 days prior. You're not the person you were yesterday. And you keep growing into this new individual who is getting all these like really cool communication and coping skills. And like, you're just on this like pink cloud and you feel great. And But you're feeling these feelings that you've never felt before, which is terrifying because yeah. then you're like, what what is this? i don't like this it's kind of like the grinch when he gets like his heart starts beating you know mm-hmm. what i mean um, my outpatient experience was probably the funnest thing that i've ever done in my life and that's i've done a lot of fun things but it was i met some amazing people you know what i mean and and they're still my friends to this day in my recovery you know what i mean yeah. So it holds a really special part to me and my time you know they I, you know i, I got roomed with addicts that. I was able to process with and understand their addictions, you know, because mine was alcohol and benzos at the end. And then I would become friends with opiate users and like to understand that and for me to process because my sister is a heroin addict. So yeah. I was able to understand what their addiction looked like. I never got to understand that with my sister. So that was a healing experience for me.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I I know just from what you've told me, like you're one of the very few that I know that haven't relapsed. It's like- Thank God, like from the day you got to my time to the, uh, sitting here right now, yeah. you have not relapsed. And I, I think that's, that's awesome. Um, I definitely am jealous <laughs> because like, you know, it, it was a really rough road yeah. for me and, and for most people. And I know it was for you too, but it, I think once you go to treatment and once you like get a taste of what life can be like without drugs or alcohol, like relapsing is, it's really, it's hard on you and it's, It can be people view it as a failure and you like you gave up on yourself. And, you know, I I don't really subscribe to that. I think, um, you know, failures can also be a learning experience. It's like a lot of times when when people relapse, it'll keep them out for a long time. They'll they'll relapse, they'll quit the program, they'll go back out for two or three years and maybe they never make it back. Yeah. Maybe they're lucky and they do. But if i always encourage people to look at a relapse and use it as a tool and like learn from it so what went wrong what emotions were you feeling that made you think that drinking or using was going to fix them what relationship were you, was bothering you maybe you should step away from that one for a little while yeah um but yeah you're how have you done that because i want to be able to teach people how <laughs> to never relapse
1: so before I got clean and sober, I had you know relapses, and that's kind of what I go back to. You know what I mean? Because I would go through points in my life where I'm like, I'm going to quit drinking, and I would go you know a week or thirty days without drinking, and that feeling that I would relapse, but I wasn't active in recovery. Yeah. Um, you know, right now in my sobriety, what keeps me accountable, um, a big thing is working in treatment. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like that's something that I need right now in my life is working with other addicts and the newcomers and stuff and going to AA meetings. And that's really hard to do, go to AA meetings, because the meetings that I enjoy going to, there's a lot of our clients that have watched me through my recovery and that look up to me. So that's sometimes triggering, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To go into a meeting and you see like all eyes on you, like you're the spotlight, like you're, you're not supposed to have anything bad happen to you. You're not supposed to, you know,
0: Um, be struggling with alcohol be
1: struggling or even hurting like you know there's sometimes where i want to go into a meeting and and vent about my struggles then like how i'm i have the obsession to drink alcohol and stuff like that and so that's that's rough you know what i mean um my kids are a huge accountability for me um my job um my my life you know my health i you know i see relapses happen and i i watch people start over and I, and I think to myself, you know, I don't think I would be able to survive, like mm. physically survive because I was I was dying. Yeah. So that I don't have relapse in my story today, you know, but it's there. And I know that it's a part of a lot of people's stories and um, I don't judge on it. You know what I mean? I actually appreciate it. And I have like so much respect for an individual that doesn't st- that they don't stay out like they call yeah. me and they're like, Sandra, I fucked up. Like I drank and that, that love and compassion that we give them, you know, and reminding them that it's okay. You know what I mean? Like this is part of it. You know what I mean? And this is the tools that we give you is to reach back out to us and, you know, you did that admit that yeah. you fuck up and, you know, and start over. And it's not starting over. It's just an, it's just a little step that you're taking a different path and that was all supposed to happen for some reason, you know, it's out of our hands. It's out of, it's not our plan. It's God's plan.
0: So you have a sponsor, Go to meetings how many how often do you meet with your sponsor and then how many meetings you go to on average like a week
1: so me and my sponsor we work together we try to meet at least every week we try to talk almost every day or every other day Um, i go to at least one meeting a week and i have almost three years of sobriety i sometimes go to more meetings sometimes i will have like a dry spell where i don't go to a meeting for like a month and i can it, that affects me big time. You know, I start becoming irritable and discontent. Um, another thing that I practice is um, like my morning meditation. Like every morning I get up and I write like a gratitude list. and um, Because, you know, further in your recovery, you start to forget about what it was like to drink and being mm-hmm. a newcomer. And sometimes our life and the things that happen in our recovery become just the normal for us where we're like, Irritable, discontent, pissed off about something or self-pity. So like my gratitude list in the morning just kind of reminds me of like how far I come every day now. Like it's a one day at a time program, but like yesterday I was grateful for something and today I'm able to put that on paper in the morning and like live my day by that. Like be grateful, you know, I have uh, healthy kids. I have a wonderful job. I'm clean and sober today. You know, I have my own independence. Like. That keeps me accountable. Sure, yeah. I think
0: r- routines are very important. Um, I talked about this the last couple episodes as well, but it—I can't emphasize like how important I can't emphasize enough how important my routine is for me. Like, we
1: know it's, your routine, right? no one. <laughs> it's, it's,
0: it's a big part of it. I think it's true for a lot of us that are active and engage in our recovery. It's like um, for me, it's a morning routine, kind of like you. I—I I try to stay, I. Stay grateful. Like I have to remember how shitty life was just yeah. five years ago, six years ago, seven mm-hmm. years ago. It was it was a totally different day to day. It sucked. Yeah. And then so to look at our lives today, it, it, there's a lot to be grateful for. So like to to have that in, as part of your morning routine, maybe I should adopt that because I I don't. Um, what I do do on a daily basis is. I wake up early. You work out. I work out a little <laughs> bit, and then but then at night, like I I review my day, like the tenth step, right? Yeah. Where we look at the things that we messed up, and mm-hmm. did I say something to Sandra today that I shouldn't have said, or did I? Never, no. You I never, I, never. I, not yet. But <laughs> th- I mean, there there's always something that yeah. like we, we we kind of feel we like, self reflect on it. Yep. Yeah, and then so to be accountable to that, and then to make amends the next day or yeah. right then if you need to. Yeah, it's really important to me.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's I agree. You know what I mean? That's one thing that people. I think we try to like push here in our outpatient program and inpatient is like building that structure and like finding a routine that best fits your needs because we were so used to building a habit of using, you know what I mean, to get out of self and to not feel things, and so. That can get really overwhelming especially when you wake up first thing in the morning you know what i mean you went to bed with all these thoughts inside so now you're waking up it's a brand new day and so i just like to reflect and just take that moment where i i don't look at my phone i try not to look at my phone i try not to you know have any distractions and just like think of like oh it's such a beautiful day like this pink cloud you know what i mean i always go back to when i was an inpatient like that that's what i reflect on because it was like it's like a a dream. It was like a like the movies, you know. Didn't it didn't you felt good. You didn't feel dope sick. You didn't feel anything. You just felt so good and healthy and it's like I want to wake up like that every morning. I don't want to feel hungover, you know.
0: I do. Yeah. <laughs> so, last question, I promise. Okay. So, I know working in admissions is it's hard. Like, you know, I've done mm-hmm. it and I I know um it's challenging because most of the time you're talking to people and it's day zero. Like yeah. they're actively using or drinking or they did last night and they're they are like desperate and they're so sad and they have some type of like emergency on their hands. And so talking to people in that desperate moment and when they, they're calling and finally like they they gathered the courage up to call mm-hmm. and ask for help, it can be draining. It's, it's hard to do that day in and day out so um i guess my question is like how do you how do you stay amped about it and then yeah how do you cope with it because it's it's a lot of it's it's a lot of stress
1: it is a lot of stress but life is stressful you know what i mean i look back at when i was active in my addiction you know the smallest thing stressed me out you know the the dog you know digging a hole in the backyard you know that would stress me out and overwhelm me so much so now that i'm able to have coping skills to understand like i can't control people places and things and this person right now is struggling you know what i mean like they're struggling they don't they're human we all make mistakes whether it's repetitive questions that somebody's asking or if it's a loved one that is you know terrified of what their child or husband is going to go through um, I put myself in their shoes and just you know remind myself like i was I was there one day, you know what I mean? I am that person. Um, but I look at it as a reward. I think I'm just grateful for everything, so I try not to have a negative thing on anything that happens in life because negativity kind of um, blocks out the positively the positive, positive yeah. you know, so I just I do get overwhelmed and I do get stressed, but I take deep breaths. I do a lot of meditation and breath work. And the biggest thing I've learned is just listen. Listen to them. Sometimes somebody just wants to just talk and tell you their whole life story, and you just listen and you would be like, okay, you know, you're, it's gonna be okay if you do what's willing. If we you do what's suggested and you're willing to go into treatment, you can have A, B, and C, and D. Um, but I think, I don't know if I really answered that you very did. well. No, but you did. Okay. You did.
0: I, I know you're gifted. Um, you're gifted at admissions because you actually do care and, like, you Thank want you. to help people. You. So we're lucky to have you here at Touchstone. I know since you started working here, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people have gotten into treatment and changed their lives. And um, I think they're really lucky to have you as the first person they talk to. Because I know, I know you, you talk to them throughout their treatment episode. Mm-hmm. If something's going wrong, a lot of times they'll say, I need to talk to Sandra, you know, because you are you were that first person that took the call and helped them get through a really tough time. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: um,
0: yeah I love you're doing my job. a really good job.
1: I love my job. I love helping people. You know what I mean? I, if it was my way, I would I would save everybody just so how I was saved. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Well,
0: thank you for being on into action this week.
1: Thanks, Nolan, for yeah, having me.
0: I'm really glad to hang out with you. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow at work.
1: No, no, you won't.